Hello and welcome to Pause the Process, where two college friends take a pause, step back, and observe the process of life unfolding. Ryan is still MIA this week, and uh, no, that that doesn't mean he's in Miami, although he is in actually a pretty fun place. He's either in Malibu right now, or I think he's taking a trip to Vegas. So Ryan's having fun, and we'll make sure to check in with him. Once he gets back, I'm sure he'll have a lot of stories and fun things to talk about. But, and it's becoming like a tradition here at PTB, when Ryan's away, Dunny comes to play. What's up, Dunny? How are you doing? <laughs> What's up? That was really interesting. <laughs> Thanks for coming back on. Uh, people who listen to the show and are caught up know that Dunny came on two weeks ago for the NBA offseason episode and last week for an episode about esports. And, you know, when we pressed stop on the recording, Dunny was like, yeah, there's just so much more to talk about. And, and I agreed there was so much that I was still curious about. So I thought we could make a part two to that episode and explore more of the topics that we didn't get a chance to in the first episode. So that's why we're here again today to talk about some of that stuff. Obviously, uh, after you listen to this episode, go and check out that one. A lot of great knowledge Dunny has, a lot of great firsthand experience with uh, watching gaming and it's just like a knowledge of how the industry works, which is really, really valuable. So we are here to talk about esports again. And one of the questions I had for last week's episode, or at least that came to my mind during last week's episode but that we didn't have time to get to, is uh, how do gamers handle new versions of games coming out, you know, every couple of years? If you're more familiar with sports, then you understand how it works in the NBA, NFL, MLB, you know, new players come in every year via the draft or, you know, undrafted free agents or whatever. So that kind of gives the NBA a new face every now and then. But imagine that with video games in terms of not only maybe new players, but like new graphics, maybe new rules and, and just a bunch of new things with every with every release of the video game. And not only that, but there's always updates right uh, within a, a game. And so that can change things as well. So how do gamers handle when they have to completely abandon all the work they put into, let's say, NBA 2K16 when NBA 2K17 comes out? Is that like a, a big thing within the game uh, yeah. that gamers like or don't like? It's really annoying for them. It's actually like a big uh, point of contention right now in the League of Legends community. With like, we have a term in esports called the meta, and it's basically what's strong at that given point of time. Like this, this character is stronger than that character. This character works in that specific situation. If you have this group of characters versus that group of characters, the first group of characters is likely to power over having that rock paper scissors effect in terms of play styles, and then one update could change all of that. In League of Legends, there's like what, like almost two, like 150 champions or something like that, 150 characters. So, a character that has always historically been weak for like the past six years could be the strongest character in the game over the course of one patch. So that's uh that's more like PC because they update it consistently. But for consoles, it's oh they also do update consoles too, but it's mostly like minuscule updates. They don't ever change the game completely the way PC games do. Like they won't change like the entire landscape of the game, but that's where the new like games come in right like with 2k16 and 2k17 like my career didn't exist in 2k until like the new 2k the following year came out whenever it did the key to being a really good esports athlete is adaptability primarily because the best players are also the players that can play in any meta or any style so if you are used to like taking your four teammates putting them on your back and carrying the fuck out of them but then you're playing like a certain lane and you have to transition into a supportive role because the championship, the characters in that role are more stronger as supportive champions. You have to be able to do that as well. So you, you need to have that versatility. 
So that's really important in an esports gamer's life. They don't like it, though, but that's just something they got to deal with. And, and going back to last episode, you said one component to a successful game that becomes a successful e-game, I should say, is the software developers were esports in mind. Do they do that with these updates in mind or with like a new version of the game? Do they Are they a little bit more cautious with how much they change, knowing that a lot of people have already gotten used to the way it was and this could disrupt things and not be well-received that well? Or... Do they not even care? Initially, they didn't care as much because the esports landscape wasn't as huge. But I'll use League of Legends as another example in this because Riot, the company that created the game, started out not caring as much about what the pro players thought, but very quickly realized that, hey, the pro players do drive the narrative in terms of like, what's good? What are people going to play? Because, you know, a lot of the times viewers will watch competitive play and they'll go, oh, I can do that. And then they'll play it in game. So a lot of the times, champions that are tearing it up in competitive play will see a lot of play in like online online uh, games and stuff like that so riot I, i'd say they do an all right job of listening to their pro players like if the pro players say oh this champion is too powerful you need to you need to um nerf it nerf meaning make it weaker the riot will generally yeah. listen to that does that have anything to do with like nerf like toys and all that or no I don't think so. Uh, okay. I, I think it just uh, came about uh, pretty naturally. But Riot is also, like, they also have, like, their own, uh, I, I want to say, identity. So every mid-season, like, around... You remember when I told you, like, in League of Legends, there's a spring season and then a summer season and then the World Championship, right? In between the spring split and the summer split, there's a giant mid-season patch that pretty much changes the type of champions that are good. So, like, mages that do magic are really strong one time and then they get completely gutted like to the ground like they're like they're horrible the next and all you can do is like shooters and stuff like that like archer type i want to say marksman but the it's like attack damage carries is what i mean are the strongest in those and it's also the other way around like i think two or three years ago there was a giant mid-season update that made mages ridiculously powerful and you know it's it's a it's a very much a cycle and it's very much about what the pros think because they even get pros to test out their new champions just to see what their opinions are and even like new skins like that don't affect the game but make the champion look a certain way (laughs) there was a story about a legendary skin in league of legends looking horrible and then the pro players calling them out on it before it came out to the public and then they instantly changed it it became one of the most popular skins ever so the pro players definitely have like a lot of influence but they also mostly take stuff that's already powerful in online but the stuff that's powerful online, the pro players are going to do anyway. So you could easily see it as, you know, pro players having all the influence over patch updates and stuff like that. So a patch will come out and then people won't really start settling into what the meta is until two and a half weeks to three weeks after that patch comes out. So it'll take a while for them to figure it out. But that's the advantage. Also, the teams that can figure out metas faster than the other teams. Those are the teams with the best records. Using League of Legends as an example, again, I'm probably going to be using League of Legends or Smash Bros. the most because those are the two esports that I watch. But in League of Legends, in the past, Korea has always been on top. Not so much recently, but they've always been the best region. And everybody looked to Korea to say, oh, what's the meta right now? Because they generally found out what the meta was. And then they just copied the Koreans. Lately, people have been doing their own thing and getting their own like you know strategies and figuring out, oh, this champion's actually really strong let's use it and then they they crush but it's always been the people who find their own metas that are the best teams okay so you're saying like the south koreans kind of dictate 
not dictate the style, <laughs> but find out what the style will be for this new update, and then everyone else just follow suit. You can say they almost dictated. Dictate really? is not like a terrible word for this. And I assume I think you mentioned this last episode. They're they're usually the most successful in international competitions. Yeah, they've won every single world championship since they became serious contenders. So yeah, they're pretty good. Uh, I think you also mentioned this last episode, but it goes back to, I think you mentioned the respect that they have for coaches and just the the ability, the teachability. I think is a good way to put it. Yeah. Teachability. Yeah. I think that kind of goes into adaptability as well, huh? Yeah, it's very much a cultural thing for them. You can't really like rest on your laurel laurels. You can't say like I'm I'm great with this character. This will be like my staple for the rest of my career. That could change, and you got to exactly. Be, that's impressive that you, you have to be good at that. If we're talking about getting up the ranks a lot of times people will specialize in one champion just to get like the highest rank so they can become pro players by the time they're going through that transition from transition from becoming a good solo queue player solo queue is like online play from being a really good online player into an esports pro that's when you have to start learning all the champions you had you have to start getting versatile you have to have a deep champion pool is what it is is what the term is a champion pool is your arsenal of all the champions that you can play and are willing to play. Switching gears a little bit, obviously a big, well, actually, I don't know. I'll ask you this before I get into my main question. In terms of training for these esports athletes, do they normally just train amongst themselves like a, a team or do they just go online and train people you would just match up with online? The pros, they scrim within each other, within the league. I'll also ask the question just in case it has an answer that I'm not expecting. Uh, what happens if you, you know, you as a just an amateur player encounter someone you recognize as a pro just playing online? You know, they just happen to be looking online for a little bit of a practice game and, and you're just playing online, just doing what you do as a hobby and you just encounter it. Has that ever happened or does that happen uh, frequently? It happens every day. Wow, okay. It happens almost all minutes of every day that because here's the thing, if you're at that level, you are at the point, like the point zero 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 one percent of players of that game. And there's only going to be like 500 people or so in that echelon. So pretty much everyone in that rank recognizes each other. So there's a very, a really well-known player in uh, North America. His name is Bjergsen. If Bjergsen goes on solo queue, everybody knows his username. But the people in solo queue who play with Bjergsen, they know who he is. And they very, very likely have played him before. If this is your first time going up against a pro player in online solo queue, then you'll probably lose your shit the very first time. But eventually it's going to get so, so like you're going to get it so much that you're going to eventually start going up against these pros. And then if they think you're good, they'll start duo queuing with you, which is like queuing up together to play with each other on like a five man team, potentially if you're good friends like that and if they, if they think you're good enough so when it comes to like professional teams they will scrim throughout the day and then on their own they'll go out into solo queue that's what pros do so high rank players see pros all the time at like night so it'd be like you and your buddies playing a little bit three on three at, at the gym and you just see like uh, Damian Lillard, Carl Anthony Towns, and Devin Booker just roll in and, and you play three on three yeah. against them like that could happen it's like games. getting it's like playing in the park and you are, you're like the top 2% of basketball players in the world, which is still not good enough to get into the NBA, by the way. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so you're like one of these like summer league stars, like Drew League yeah, exactly, summer, exactly. summer circuit stars. You're like yeah. a summer league dude, you're playing at the park, and then the entire Portland Trailblazers team comes, and then you guys just play with each other. But imagine that happening like every other day. So they're pretty like desensitized wow. to it. <laughs> but in traditional sports, that doesn't happen, right? I mean, I know in the summer, a lot of stars play like at Rucker or the Drew yeah, League. Yeah, yeah. But... But normally, when they're in season, 
they don't play any additional games that they don't have to. They only stay within themselves and play at that level Mm -hmm. because, you know, injury risks and stuff like that. Exactly. Whereas with esports athletes, they have to to get more practice because there's such a small pool for them to even practice among. Yeah. Um, So that's a very interesting thing to note. And putting it in terms of like sports we understand just fills you with awe about that facet of esports. Yeah, that's the great thing about esports is that's why... That's a reason why pro players are so close with their fans is we talked about streaming last time. Pro players interact with their fans that way. You talk to them, you respond to the chat, all that stuff. And then pro players also meet fans in game too as well. There's, I think, five ranks in League of Legends. First rank is bronze, silver, and then gold, and then platinum, and then diamond, and then master, and then challenger. And then if you're like high platinum to to uh, challenger... I'd say, actually, let's go high diamond to challenger. There is no way you will not at least encounter one pro every, like, two weeks. There's no way. But keep in mind, diamond, even though it's, like, three levels below the the highest pros, the highest of the highest. And diamond is still, like, in the point, in the top 0.3%. It's still, like, in the top, in that top. And there's a limited talent pool. That's, like, a thousand players, basically, total. So you are guaranteed, pretty much, to meet a pro in pro play. In online play, excuse me. That's pretty cool. So we talked about streaming a little bit. Let's say someone who wants to get into esports, maybe you know they're an amateur right now and they want to build up their recognition, or they just want to do streaming for fun. What kind of things do you need to start streaming on on Twitch? Is it very equipment heavy? Is it stuff that you know you have to invest some money in, or is it something you can kind of pick up and do tomorrow if you want to? Um, depending on your situation, all three of those things. So it's probably very tech heavy, I assume. Yeah. Because you probably need like great internet and all this stuff. You need good internet. That's like, that's something you cannot escape from in streaming. Yeah. You yeah. you cannot stream without good internet. You need good equipment too, because then otherwise <laughs> your viewers are just going to see one big blur on their screens. It's also one of those things that you got to do like all day, every day, if you want any followers. And you need that, you know, to interact with your fans. You need that charisma. You can, you, it helps to be good looking. And if you are like, if you're a high ranked player, then that also gives you a lot because you can teach, you can not teach, teach, but like you can talk about, oh, the reason why I'm doing this action in this game is because this is going to happen and I don't want that to happen. Something like that, like in a sense, indirectly teaching your viewers. And then, and it's almost kind of word of mouth as a lot of like this, a lot of like Reddit threads and like Twitter You'll see, oh, like this guy has a really nice and chill stream. Check him out, that kind of thing. So, yeah, it takes a lot to be a successful streamer. Not only the equipment and the time, but also a good screen presence and ability to teach. Well, that's just one of the things. Uh, most, yeah. of, most of it is just entertainment. You don't have to necessarily teach. You could be funny. That's, that's like a thing. Okay. So the people who you see successful at this, even if they're not a pro player, they're just a streamer, it takes a lot. It's not just someone who had an internet connection and a video game and a camera. Although, if you just want to go watch them, everything is free, right? I mean, you can choose to donate, but if you just want to go watch them on Twitch, everything yeah. is free to my understanding, right? Yeah, it is generally free. If you, it's, It costs like five bucks to subscribe, but you don't actually have to do that. A lot of Twitch streamers will give their subscribers benefits. Like, you know, they get access to videos that not everyone can see, but everyone gets to see the stream. That's that's always free. Oh, so it's like a Patreon for kind of yeah. people who that's make, a good way yeah, of putting it. Videos or YouTube videos or like podcasts or stuff. They always say like, hey, if you give me a little bit on Patreon, you get access to some more stuff. Yeah, exactly. So. But the streams will always be free, just like YouTube videos will always be free. Yeah, that's good because it, it it was taken over by Amazon, right? Twitch. Yes, it was. It was bought, uh, and I assume that they made sure to keep it free. 
Yes. Which is good because that probably alienate a lot of users and viewers if it were to become like a, a paywall type thing, huh? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And I do want to emphasize how easy it is just to like if you're intrigued by esports and you probably are if you made it through this far of this episode and all of last episode, uh, you're probably intrigued. Literally, Twitch dot uh Twitch dot TV, right? Yep. Not even Twitch dot com. Just Google search Twitch. You'll get there. It's free. Click on a video game that you like if you're a big if you're a big traditional sports fan click on the video game for that sport and usually it has like the top ones uh viewers wise right there on the front page of the results so watch one and you can kind of see what we're talking about it's really it's a really interesting thing and it's free entertainment at the end of the day kind of like a podcast is so i mean that's great (laughs) you don't have to pay for it so one of the things that fascinates me when I talk to someone about one of their hobbies is how they got into it, what it looks like in their daily life, and just their personal experiences with it. So how did you get into watching esports, playing esports? What was like the inception of that that interest? Well, I started out playing League of Legends in high school just because all my friends were playing it. It was really, really popular at that time. It still is, but it was just crazy. It was like a craze when I was in high school. I always knew there was a competitive scene for League of Legends, but I didn't really know how to access it until I saw an ad on the League of Legends client. So I clicked on it and then I saw like this game of Team Solo Mid versus Cloud9. And then it was like, oh, everybody was talking about, oh, Cloud9's probably gonna win, Cloud9's probably gonna win, Cloud9's probably gonna win. And then TSM wins. I was like, oh my god, I think I just found my favorite team. I'm like a sucker for the underdog. (laughs) Even though like TSM has lately become the most dominant organization in North American history. (laughs) But I wasn't really like super into it then. And then I saw the Super Smash Bros. documentary. It's called The Smash Brothers. It's like a nine episode documentary. Each episode's like half an hour long. So the whole thing is like four hours, four, four and a half hours. <laughs> but I thought it was really long initially, but then I, I just couldn't stop watching it. And I finished it in like two days, I think. This was also during the summer, so I had a lot of time on my hands as a high school student. And I and then from there, that's when I really started to get into esports because I started following Smash Bros players. And then that, that just exploded into another thing from there. So that's Smash Bros documentary. While it wasn't the thing that initially got me into it, it was the thing that kept me kept me there for sure. Yeah, and you've you've shown this to me, and then I've checked out some of the second episode. It's very interesting. It is um pretty well done for something on YouTube. I don't know if it was originally on TV or anything like that, but it feels like a documentary. They have a lot of firsthand footage, some pretty good interviews. Yeah, the guy who made it is like a professional producer, but um, okay. Yeah, it feels that way. But, but he put it on YouTube and he doesn't make any money off of it. And it actually, the the cool thing about the Smash Bros. documentary, it actually saved Smash Bros. Melee and it made it into the esport oh, it is really? today. Because Melee was on the downward decline and it, it almost went away. And then when that documentary came out, everybody started watching it and then they got super into it. And now Melee is like, like at least top 10 esports right now because of that documentary so it was the same effect it had on you is probably it had on a lot of people oh yeah they probably watched it and they're like oh i gotta i gotta play this yeah they i gotta watch this and play it yeah (laughs) although i did try to play it a little i'm just like how the hell do these people do that shit (laughs) like my fingers could not it's impressive (laughs) yeah it is very it's very impressive so so league of legends and more prominently that that documentary really got you into this the spectator part of Mm -hmm. esports yeah totally do you play any of these games semi-regularly or at all? Is is this like a is this a 
presence in your life or are you more just a spectator? At this point in my life, I'm more than, more just a spectator because I'm so busy nowadays. But when I was in high school, I played mostly League of Legends and Smash Bros. I did play like other games a little bit like Overwatch and CSGO, but I was terrible at those. So I just like stopped playing after like two times. Uh, but the League of Legends and Smash Bros were like Smash Bros Melee specifically were like the two the two big ones for me. But nowadays with college and performing and music and all that, I'm just way too busy. Also, I prefer watching anyway. Is there like a, how does it fit into your daily routine? Is that, is that like a substitute for TV shows or do you just kind of watch it uh, when you're kind of bored? Is it, is this like a daily thing to watch? When I was in high school and around the time when I just graduated high school, I would set aside time of my day just to watch these tournaments and esports events. Nowadays is like if I do not if I'm not busy that day that's probably like the first thing I'll go to other than NBA because lately I've just gotten so invested into the NBA that it's just that's what I mostly do for fun is the NBA but League of Legends and especially Smash Bros because Smash Bros doesn't have like a schedule you say you know it's like golf where it's this major tournament this major tournament that major tournament that major tournament I kind of pick and choose which which major tournaments I want to watch and the most popular major tournament is Evo that's like the Super Bowl for fighting games. And Smash Bros. Melee is in there. So I will always watch Evo. Apex used to be a big one. I'm not really sure what happened to it. And then another one was Genesis. That's a big one. That's a big one. The huge storylines happened in there that you will see towards the tail end of the documentary, Shibum. In the really big tournaments, I will always set aside time for. But like lately, I've been so busy that I haven't been, been, been able to do it as much as I had hoped. But if, it, if there is like Evo, then I will. I guess it's kind of like, you know, big soccer fans will get up early on a, a Saturday morning American time <laughs> to watch Premier League uh, over over in England. So you kind of have to set aside some time with these big major tournaments uh, that are scheduled. What about like the just the people who are just playing online on Twitch, people you can just kind of like find whenever you want to? If you, Let's say you have like a favorite streamer. Do streamers usually like schedule like, oh, hey, I stream eight to four every day? Or is it just whenever they go on, they go on and you can get a notification if you want? You know, it kind of seems like it's impromptu sometimes, you know what I mean? Definitely both of those. Because a lot of the pro players, since they already have, like, their <laughs> leagues going on, they're, those are the ones that are just going to come on whenever they can. But the designated streamers, they generally stream at a specific time. They'll generally stream, like, for the majority of the day every day because that's what they do and they make a lot of money doing it. So if you have, like, a specific streamer streamer that you want to watch, it's a, there's a high likelihood you'll see them every time you go. But if you want, like, to watch a specific pro player stream you have to like follow them on twitch just so if you want to get that notification when they do also the pro player streaming is not rare but doesn't happen as much as like the designated streamers yeah and and to just talk about the designated streamers that's like their eight to five job so you would probably expect them to do it eight to five most days anyway they make a lot of money doing it but that's how they make their money so they're probably on there most of the time just as a technicality they would probably like stream late at night because they know like their viewers have like work and stuff Oh yeah, so for the to accommodate the the eight to five workers, they probably do like I don't know six to twelve or something. Uh, yeah, something that like makes that. Sense. That's what, it sounds like a pretty chill life. Yeah, a designated streamer. If you're good at it, you gotta be good at it, and that takes I, a lot. No, of you gotta be good at it, or you're really funny or charismatic. Because there's a lot of there's a lot of streamers who are just like easy on the eyes that people like to watch, that people like to look at. But you know, that sounds like a pretty fun way to make a living. Or am I just discounting the fact that it can get boring? Let's say you're a designated streamer and you play FIFA, and that's like your livelihood. Do you think you ever get bored of that? Would they ever admit that? Or is is it seen like, oh, video games is meant to be 
uh, a hobby that I've turned into a profession. I can't complain about the profession because it's something that most people would would love to do for a profession. You One know thing I mean? about streamers is they will always say what they're thinking. It's like if they're getting bored of League of Legends, they'll switch over to whatever game they feel like. Like when Fortnite was becoming the huge craze, you saw all the major League of Legends streamers. Uh, they were playing that for a moment, you know, just to like get the feel of it. And that's one thing you notice about most streamers and also pro players because most streamers and pro players who are good at the game, at their respective games, are good at most games, is what it is. Like a pro player in League of Legends is probably really good in another game too because lots of gamers are just naturally good at gaming, not like that specific game or anything like that. Yeah, it's like Ozin, huh? Ah, yes. <laughs> it's like it's like Ozin. Yeah. That guy. Yeah. Apparently, it's this guy in the documentary that we were mentioning. He's just really good at just games, period. Board games, other video games, like, including the one he plays, Smash. Asin's just really freakishly good, though, at the other ones, too. Like, other esports pro would be, like, top 10%. Asin would be, like, top 0.001% of there. He'd be, like, the best in the world in several things. Yeah, like, world records, I think it's said. Yeah. He, he held world records at the time of all these disparate games. So there's something definitely fundamental about... A person who's good at video games. I know there's a, diff- a lot of different types of video games. We we talked about like fighting games versus strategy versus sports, or, you know, all these things. But there's probably something very fundamental that unites all of them. You know, like in swimming, right? If you're really good at freestyle, there's a high likelihood you're good at breaststroke. There's a high likelihood you're good at backstroke. There's a high likelihood that you're good at all the other kind of strokes. If you're really, really good at like one type of stroke. That's kind of how it is in gaming. Yeah, like, you know, like a swimmer's body. That's like a very general thing applicable to all swimmers. You know, a very long, lean, lanky type of type of thing. More top-heavy at the shoulders and like skinny at the waist, I think, is what a swimmer's body is. But that's a thing, a swimmer's body. NBA players, definitely taller people. <laughs> um, you know, like there's always fundamental things that unite. Yeah, I mean, NBA point guards are probably could be like good soccer players or something like yeah. that. Yeah, they a short NBA fast. player is still a very tall dude. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're probably a fast runner too if you're in the NBA. If yeah, you're like a, soccer no, players, players, endurance. If you have exactly. endurance, exactly, they could probably run a marathon. Soccer players. Uh, it's no different with esports e- athletes too. Just to give you a little bit more perspective on uh, appreciating the athletes in this industry. I know this is a very hard task, but can you like put your finger on what it might be? Is it like quick reaction? Is it thinking ahead? Is it you know? Uh, I think it depends on the type of game. So. If you're good at Mario Kart, there's a high likelihood you're going to be good at other racing games. So, like, even a cartoon racing game has something in common with, like, Gran yeah, Turismo, like, like very realistic. <laughs> like, or, yeah. or Need for Speed. I, I played Need for Speed growing up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I had Need for Speed Underground, too, I think. So, like, racing games, that's a thing. But here's the thing with pro players a lot of times, esports pros are people who grew up playing games in general, they didn't grow up playing one game. These are guys who, um, when they were kids, they all they did was play video games. They loved it. They they played every game on earth. So I think that translates over, and that that stays just because they play one game a lot. Because skills in one game will translate to another game one way or another. Like if you're really mechanically good in StarCraft, there's a high likelihood you'll be really really good at League of Legends because StarCraft is so much more complicated. It's like an infinitely more complicated than League of Legends in terms of like everything. So you'll be good at League of Legends too. If you're good at Counter-Strike, that means you have like really good hand-eye coordination and very fast reaction times, that kind of thing. And that is also really useful for like other FPS games, like Call of Duty and Halo and stuff like that. Definitely some practicable, identifiable skills associated with certain games.
I want to I want to know more about how leagues are organized because this is, seems like a very disparate thing esports. Is there a central organization that manages let's say the league within one video game? Are there multiple leagues for a video game? Is it is it a very organized thing? Uh you know, are there tiered leagues or is it just uh one prominent league? So so if you could take like a, a prominent game and, and use it as a good example, can you kind of ex- explain the organization for us? League of Legends is a little bit of a weird example because it's gone through so much change over so long. But initially, League of Legends started out with a relegation tournament. And if you guys sucked, you guys would get relegated. If you guys were like 10th place, you would automatically get relegated. And then the other two spots above you would fight for staying into the LCS. LCS is the League Champions Series, is the league for, is the league that we have in league and then there would also be like a second tiered league where weaker teams would try to get into the main main league and they would go up against these um the shitty teams like the relegation teams and if they beat those teams then they would then those teams would get out the the teams that lost would get kicked out into the challenger scene challenger is the second tiered league and the team that did beat them gets into the main league so that's how it was for a while and they mostly had that system to weed out like terrible owners who didn't pay their players contracts and didn't really know how to build a team sort of just throw money at the problem and didn't really know what to didn't really know what they were doing basically but eventually as the league of legends started to get more and more and more investments rick fox came Shaq came noah winston came he was like this venture capitalist guy um the golden state warriors came dan gilbert came and disney came magic johnson came alex alex rodriguez came all these crazy like super high-end like venture capitalist type people started coming into the league and some of them were thinking about leaving because they were not they were scared of the relegation system so what eventually happened was after all the bad owners were pretty much weeded out league switched into a franchise system so the the teams that were to be accepted into the league of legends tournament paid the company riot a certain, certain amount of money to get in and they applied and then eventually they had this collective bargaining agreement. It's very, it's very similar to the NBA. And then they had like, they haven't done, they haven't had a salary cap yet because the money is so fluid right now. I think one of the players is getting paid like a million a year at this point, which is a crazy. Wow. That's, that's a pretty good salary. <laughs> yeah. But that's like yeah. the top player. And it's only going to go up. Uh, yeah. He's, he's not like the best player, but he was like really important for that team and eventually that's going to become the norm with how much money is going in right now so now they're in a franchising system and the way to get into that franchising system was you had like a giant amount of finances backing you up or you already proved yourself to be like a, a very sufficient team with good managing good players good um good staff and good coaching and all that stuff so like my favorite team tsm pretty much got in through their history and also they did like deals with like uh, recently they done like deals with Steph Curry and the founder of Yahoo and then other teams like there's a team that got a deal with Madison Square Garden Rick Fox his team is called Echo Fox they got a deal with the Yankees Team Liquid they partnered with Disney and Magic Johnson Enterprises which is cool so there's a bunch of like business elements going into it and because now they're in the franchising system it makes the people who are outside investors feel more secure with their investments that is so fascinating like every, a lot of things there the the promotion relegation system fans of international soccer will recognize that as how basically all the european leagues work mls doesn't work that way but 
Premier League, La Liga, Serie A, Ligue 1, uh, all these leagues function that way. And that seems pretty cool that there can always be like fresh blood in, in the league. You, you mentioned these players are getting great salaries and stuff like that, but how do you keep refreshing the talent? How do young players break into these leagues and these teams? Is there a way to do that? Or is it just when the team is set, the team is set, and then if they like a player, they'll sign him and drop one of the current players? Last year, we had our first ever scouting grounds draft. So this is this is like super deep. So after the world championship is over and before the regular season starts up again, which is the the um, spring split, I believe. Um, that's the first regular season. Before that starts up, there's a scouting grounds. So in League of Legends, there is five rules. There's the top lane, there's the mid lane, and there's the bot lane, which has two players. And there's a jungle who, like, fight all the jungle monsters to get gold for them and then help out the laners, you know, beat their opponents. They take the top four of each role in online play, and then what they do is... They say, hey, you're pretty good. Do you want to come to the sounding grounds? And obviously they all say yes, because you know who the hell doesn't want to do that. <laughs> and then they take them all. And then each team randomly gets, I, I'm not sure how it's exactly ordered, but each team gets like, oh, you get this top player, you get that player, that player, enough to satisfy all positions in each team. So there's four teams. I think it's like Team Ice, Team Fire, Team Cloud, and then Team Mountain or something like that. And then from there, these newly created, just a week ago, four teams battle it out in a bracket. And then they'll take in people like players from the actual league, from the actual LCS. They'll have them and the coaches from the LCS, they'll have them go over, help out the scouting grounds people, help them coach. And then that stuff like that. And whoever wins the scouting grounds competition, because generally in the scouting grounds, individual play is a big 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 <laughs> it's a hugely important factor it's a big factor because individual like skill is a big factor so then after the scouting grounds is over all the teams have had the time to you know assess oh this guy's really good this guy sucks this guy's really good this guy sucks and then they'll make a draft order the worst team gets the top pick and then it's just order from there and they could trade the picks for whatever they can give the picks for like money they could give the picks it's the same way the nba draft works and you see, a lot of the times, the teams that got a certain player on their scouting grounds team, and like they, their coach was teaching that scouting grounds team, they see like them up close. It's like, oh, this guy has this attitude towards game. This guy has that attitude. So there's a lot of like weird picks, like what the heck? Why did they pick that person? Right? And it's because they got to see how they act and their attitude and stuff like that. So a lot of the times, the best players will get drafted first. But like after like the first three picks, there's going to be a lot more than that. It's all over the place after that because at that point teams are more comfortable picking the people who they've already seen and like their attitudes toward the game than people who they haven't seen and that were on other scouting grounds teams. It's pretty hard for me to explain, but yeah, that's pretty much how the draft works. That is so fascinating that like this system that we're very familiar with with all of these sports we watch that exist in esports too. That's so cool that you know that exists and is in place it makes it more of like a viable thing in my in my mind in terms of replacing talent getting better and better players pushing the limits of what's possible in these games it's pretty cool <laughs> it's very much like baseball actually i think that's a really good comparison because a lot of times in baseball players get drafted and they're immediately put into the second league they're not put into the mlb they just put it to the second league to have them develop that's what a lot of the times they do with the scouting grads 
they put them into their academy team and then allow them to develop there. Okay, so like a farm system, like these these yeah. these teams have a farm system to develop. The, mm-hmm. the parallels with this are just so cool. I mean, because mm-hmm. these are so these are things we're familiar with, and it's to see that it exists in here is pretty is pretty cool. This is a very organized enterprise. Don't think it's just a bunch of players playing video games. It's a very organized system. A lot of money flowing in this. A lot of investors that you recognize are recognizing the potential. And speaking of potential, what is the future of esports? We know esports is the future of sports, but what is the future of esports itself? Uh, that's a really loaded question because, you know, StarCraft is a game that was at the peak of its powers. Nobody thought that it would die. That's what a lot of people thought. It's like, oh my God, StarCraft is going to be the biggest game in the world. Star- it was the biggest game in the world at the time in terms of esports. But it's like, oh my god, StarCraft's going to be the biggest thing in the world. It's going to be bigger than football. It's going to be bigger than basketball. But then StarCraft eventually just fell apart for some reason. And a lot of it had to do with the company that created it. So when it comes to specific games, we have no idea. We have no idea. Like, where did Fortnite come from? Like, no one saw that coming. And I'm an esports watcher. I have no idea what Fortnite is. <laughs> it's, it's impossible I mean, I to avoid now, this. But, yeah, exactly. But that's how League was at a certain point. And that's how StarCraft was at a certain point. It never got to this, that Fortnite attention because, you know, with Ninja and Drake streaming, they broke the single game, single viewer streaming record or something like that just because Drake. And it, it went so mainstream. Ninja was streaming with like a football player. Josh Hart from the Los Angeles Lakers was streaming it with Larry Nance Jr. And Ben Simmons was streaming it. Carl Anthony Towns was streaming PUBG. We don't know which game is going to be popular when. The only thing that we do know is that esports itself is going to be huge because the numbers have been going up every year and they have been taking a dive since. Specific games have taken dives. Yes. You know, like StarCraft fell apart. Quake fell apart. But that's just because it was an old game with shitty graphics. <laughs> um, the original Counter-Strike was not doing so well. Like, the only, like, old game that's, like, still around is Super Smash Bros. Melee. That's, like, the only one. And that's because it has such a strong, strong community behind it, which... Shivam, you will find out if you continue to watch the documentary. As far as esports as a whole, if you take like the top esport of this year and that year, then and you just just go in the line, just go in chronological order. The, the top esports of whatever year you look at, it always goes up from the previous esport. It could be the same game. League of Legends was the top esport for for a short time. Um, it's not now. Right now, it's Fortnite. <laughs> I don't know if Fortnite's much of an esport, but they definitely have like celebrities playing it with famous streamers, so that's definitely a thing. But, like, League of Legends was on top of the world at one point, and then, you know, even, like, consecutive years, if, like, a game is at the top, like, StarCraft was for consecutive years, even the viewership would go up from there. So what I'm trying to say is, the viewership for esports as a whole will always be going up. But we don't ever know what game is going to be on top. That's why when you asked me the last podcast, what makes an esports game an esports game, what makes it successful, I had such, like, a long, like, unclear, nebulous answer. Because no one really knows. We can make theories, like I said, you know, the developers having esports in mind, stuff like that. But we can we could easily make theories about that. But we don't we actually don't have the slightest of idea what the next esports game. I can guarantee you like six months from now there's gonna be a game that takes the entire world by storm, just like Fortnite did, and we will have never seen it coming. We we said this in the NBA episode. We both predict that the NBA is gonna overtake American football domestically as the most popular sport in america and then i also predicted that mls will be number two in america but those are existing sports taking over existing sports these are sports that have been around for years and years and decades and decades 
there could be a new esport, a new video game released tomorrow that shakes up this whole industry. That's that's crazy. Exactly. There's so much disruption potential. You know, no one's inventing a new sport that's going to overtake football or basketball tomorrow, like a traditional sport. But someone could with the video game. So that's really, really crazy um, in my mind. I want to add the thing that makes this even more like crazy is a lot of times you'll see a professional player from one game move on to another game. You'll see professional League of Legends players move on to Overwatch when Overwatch was the big thing. You'll see professional League of Legends players move on to Fortnite because Fortnite was the big thing. And these are guys who make money off of this game. And they're, and because, you know, we were, we were just talking about that gaming intuition. People who are at the top of the world in a certain game will have a very chance of being amazing at other games too. That's a very real thing. There's a pro player. His name is Bishu. Bishu, uh, I don't really know how to pronounce it. It's B-I-S-C-H-U. And he was a League of Legends pro player. And he was on, he was on a series of like really shady teams for a while. And then eventually Overwatch came out and took the world by storm. It took over everything. Overwatch, very momentarily, it took over everything. Eventually, League's, League came back up just because, you know, the novelty of Overwatch took over League. But League of Legends eventually did come back anyways. And Overwatch, you know, is still pretty good in terms of popularity. It's not amazing, but it's pretty good. And Beastu, he was a fantastic League of Legends player, and like top 0.1% of the world. And he switched over to Overwatch. And he was also a fantastic, he was a pro player in Overwatch too. And that's going to happen always. Somebody who starts sucking at a certain game now, and they don't—they're not as good at that game anymore. They're going to switch over the game, and then from there, it's going to be amazing. It, <laughs> that's the crazy part about esports. You're never going to see like a crazy, like a like the best basketball player play another sport and also dominated it. I mean, we know Michael Jordan went to Bo baseball, Jackson. but he was trash at it. Bo Jackson—that's <laughs> like the best. Bo Jackson's the best example of that. But there's see, there's only like one, exactly, or maybe like a handful of players, exactly. And it's a very normal thing in esports. Yeah. Is they'll like you'll constantly see people switching. This is all just so fascinating stuff to me, and we're just scratching the surface. There's so much to talk about here. Hopefully, through this two-episode series, you've gained a better understanding of esports, more familiarity with what it is, who's involved how it's organized, and how similar and simultaneously distinct it is from the traditional sports you're more familiar with. Dunny, you're a generous man for taking time to join for three successive episodes. You're basically a podcaster emeritus here. You're welcome back anytime on any topic you wish. I'm fairly certain we're going to check in with you during the NBA season. But yeah, you always have a seat here at PTP. Thank you. And we want to thank you for listening. And we want to remind you that you can reach us multiple ways. Pause the process at gmail.com. Pause the process on Facebook and at PTP underscore POD on Instagram and Twitter. Also remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, rate and review as well. Follow us on SoundCloud and also get that word of mouth going. Do us a favor. And if you like what you're hearing, tell a friend about us. That's all for this time. So let's hit resume.